we're in the study on the sayings of Jesus, and no study on the sayings of Jesus would be complete without delving into John chapter 15. And so we're going to do that today. It's um, a great passage that um, has great application for any follower of Christ. So if you have a device and want to turn to it on a device or in a Bible, um, feel free. Otherwise, we'll have the scripture on the screen and would love to have you join us in this study today. And uh, out of um, just uh, desire to include the Lord into this study, I would like to invite you to pray with me before we begin. Dear Lord, thank you for the importance of this study that we're doing today. We know that these were your very words, and we are going to listen to what you've said to us, and we pray that your Holy Spirit would take your words and apply them to our lives and help them to make sense to us as we study today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus is in, in his last evening before um, being arrested and going to the cross. Um, we know that he shared a Passover meal with his disciples. And after the meal, there was some discussion and talking. And um, this particular passage that we're going to look to today, um, where Jesus said these words, we're not entirely sure. We think probably either in walking along the way between where they celebrated the Passover meal and uh, the Garden of Gethsemane, or it could have been in the Garden of Gethsemane. But at any rate, we know that he spoke them. And like anything that someone would say at the very end of their life or before they're leaving on a long trip, um, usually those last words are important and significant. And in this case, um, they're very important. They're not the last words that Jesus spoke before going to the cross, or they're not the last words that he spoke before leaving this earth, but they're in that time frame where, where it's the end, and Jesus is, he's not waste, he never wasted words anyway, but he's certainly not wasting words now. These are important, and uh, so let's take a look. Um, with anticipation, like being on a treasure hunt, looking for the, uh, the pearl of great price in uh, what is being said today, okay? John 15, Jesus said, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. 
This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Let's stop here for just a minute. At the end of this uh, very important section, Jesus says these words, This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. I know for myself, I've asked the question before in reading this passage, what does he mean by fruit? Is he talking about um, character traits? Is he talking about personality traits? Is, or is he talking about people that we bring to Christ? Is that bearing fruit? Well, that certainly is bearing fruit, but in the uh, usage that Jesus makes of that word fruit, that seems not to be what he's intending. Um, some of the the word pictures he uses for bringing lost people to Jesus would be the things, uh, just the, the very word I use, that word lost, like lost, the lost sheep that he goes after and finds and brings home, the lost coin that the woman sweeps the, the floor for and, and causes uh, and brings her neighbors together for a celebration, the lost son that comes back to Jesus. Those would be, that would be a word symbol that would be used for bringing uh, people that are not followers of Jesus into the faith. In this case, Jesus is, is most certainly talking about um, things that later on in the scripture we find out uh, through, especially through the Apostle Paul, the fruit of the Spirit. In fact, I'd like for you just to look at that uh, passage for a minute before we delve into this passage again, and that's um, in Galatians 5, 22 and 23. Paul says, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Those would be the kinds of things that I believe Jesus was referring to when he, when he spoke about fruit. He said that if we have these things in our lives, that will bring glory to God and will identify ourselves as his disciples. And so um, that's a real motivator. If the way that God is glorified in my life is by me bearing fruit, I need to listen up. I need to find out how I can bear fruit for him because it seems to be to me that my chief end in life should be to glorify God, to bring praise to him. And so um, let's delve into this a little bit more. And I'd like for you to actually go back to verse 1 in uh, chapter 15 of John. And we're going to work our way through a verse at a time. Jesus says, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. I want to tell you a story about uh, my own life. We uh, lived in Wisconsin Rapids, Wisconsin after college. And uh, I, we rented for about a year and a half. And then uh, we were able to buy our first home. And I remember how excited we were, a little greenhouse on Chestnut Street. Uh, in between Assumption High School and Lincoln High School. And uh, I worked with high school students at the time, and it was an ideal location. And, but I remember in the yard along the back 
fence, there was kind of a viney growth that pretty much covered the whole fence. And uh, so when we first moved in, we noticed that and didn't give it a lot of thought. We were busy with other things. And um, then uh, I got to wondering, you know, what is that? And uh, so the next spring, it, um, when it came to life again and, and had uh, leaves on the vines and so forth, uh, we realized that it was a grapevine. And there were scattered little grapes here and there, but, you know, not really clusters of grapes, but just, you know, random fruit just here and there, but not much. Although the branches were pro prolific, they were everywhere. So um, I thought, if that's a grapevine, I... I I remember asking my wife, do we want to get rid of it or do we want to, to see if we can get some grapes out of it? And I think we both agreed that we should try to get some grapes out of it. So I remember getting a book on grapevines. And uh, so uh, the first thing that the book said was, you know, cut, uh, cut back all the main vines that go from the ground and support branches, cut them back to one. Um, and so, and then have one main shoot that goes up from the ground and then one branch going laterally in each direction. Well, this had dozens of branches going in each direction and it had many vines coming up from the ground. So we did that. We, we whacked and, and we got it down to one vine coming out of the ground and one lateral, lateral branch going either direction. I remember doing that in the fall and, and just wondering what would happen then in the spring. And um, So then in the spring, when uh, the leaves came out and everything, that um, those two lateral branches began to produce leaves and, and it let us know that they were still alive. And, and then they produced some clusters of grapes, and, and they, were, they looked better than anything we had seen the year before. Well, by the next year, this thing was amazing. We, we could not have imagined um, the kind of fruit that we got out of this single grapevine with two lateral branches. And by this time, those lateral branches had extended a long ways and were full just chuck full of beautiful big clusters of grapes. We had grape jelly, grape juice. We had everything you can imagine that can be made from grapes and lots of it from a single grapevine. So when Jesus says that the Father cuts off the branches that bear no fruit and those that do bear fruit, he prunes so that they will be even more fruitful. He's describing something, for me anyway, that has, I have a real visual connection with that because we witnessed that in our own grapevine. Let's go on to verse three. He says, you are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. The interesting thing is in verse three there, when he says, you are already clean, that word clean in the Greek is the same word that was used for prune. It's, a, a, it's in a little different uh, place grammatically, but it's the same root word. And uh, when you study it closely, I believe that that word is really better translated prune 
you're already pruned because of the word I have spoken to you. I think that makes more sense to us than the word clean. Here's how it works. When God's word is spoken to us and we receive it, it has the same effect in our lives that pruning has in a grapevine. What does God's word do in our lives? It cuts off things that are not good for us, doesn't it? It lets us know what's not good. And so we participate with God in getting rid of those things in our lives. And we pray and ask God to help us to eliminate those bad things in our lives. That would be the equivalent of branches that are dead in a grapevine or branches that have no function, uh, that are not producing fruit. And so God's word becomes a pruner in our lives. And he says, you're already pruned because of the things I've spoken to you. Let's go on to verse four. Then Jesus says this, remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Let's stay there for a minute. I remember back to this grapevine in Wisconsin Rapids. Um, I remember uh, in the pruning process of cutting some things um, at the vine connection and not getting it all um, pulled out of the vine down the road. And so we had some vines that stayed on the fence that had no connection with, I'm sorry, we had some branches that stayed on the fence that had no connection to the vine. And very soon in the year, it was obvious which ones they were. They turned brown, they got brittle, and we realized they, they weren't connected. And so they couldn't possibly bear fruit, much less even leaves or become green. So we pulled those out and they were thrown away. And so um, God does that in our own lives. Any branches that are uh, not bearing fruit or ones that are dead, he pulls out so that we can be more fruitful in our lives. Let's go on to verse five. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And again, let's stay put for just a minute. The comparison is obvious. We have to be as, as branches. We're, we're the branches in this uh, comparison that the Lord is making here. Um, we are the branches. We have to be connected to the vine to produce fruit. And Jesus is saying, I'm the vine. So you have to be connected to me to bear this fruit that's going to bring glory to God. And that's, that's a stimulating thought in me. I'm saying, yes, I, I see it. How do I do that? How do I remain in you, dear Lord? Let's look at verse 6. If you do not remain in me, you're like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up thrown into the fire and burned. We've already talked about that. Let's go on to verse seven. This is a key verse because this gives us a clue of what it means to remain in Jesus. If you remain in me, Jesus says, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Okay, 
What does it mean to remain in Christ? I want to suggest, based on this verse, and based on what else is said in the rest of Scripture and in Jesus' teachings, but particularly here, the context gives us, I think, what this passage means, and it's this. To remain in Jesus means that we are, we are feasting on his word every day. His word is a part of our life. His words, God's word, are, they're part of us. We're reading them on a regular basis. We're hearing them taught when we come together for corporate worship or we participate in a class such as this. And those words then become life to us. There, um, you remember that Jesus said you're already clean or pruned because of the words that I've spoken to you. So um, God's word not only prunes us, but it also nourishes us. It gives us nourishment from Jesus. And so that's one way that we, we remain in him. It's by being in his word. I just personally believe that we need to do everything we can to make his word personal to us. It's good to come to church. It's good to hear the message every Sunday. I wouldn't miss that for anything. and I wouldn't recommend that you do that either. I believe that you should take advantage of every class or small group or other opportunity you have to grow and take in God's word. But when the day is done, you also need to have a time in God's word where you're going to God's word, just you and God. And you're reading through his, his word in a consistent, systematic way. You're studying it. You're asking questions. You're, you're applying it to your life. You're talking about his word to friends or to family or to a, a spouse. And that's his word remaining in you. It's becoming part of your life. And then as you live out your days in your relationships, you're applying the principles of his word that you've learned. And as you make decisions in your business or in your personal life, you're applying what you've learned from God's word in those situations. The second part of remaining in Christ is found in, in the, oh, maybe the fifth or sixth words here in this verse. And my words remain in you. Ask whatever you wish. Ask whatever you wish. That's, that's the... Um, that's, that's a description of prayer, isn't it? Asking God for whatever we wish. Um, I want to focus more on just the, the idea of asking God. So prayer is the other element of remaining in Christ. God's word becomes the, um, the systematic, long-term, stay with you over a lifetime um, input from Christ into our lives. It, it needs to, we needed it as a child. We need it as a young person. We need it as a middle adult, as a senior adult. God's word needs to flow through our life in every stage of life, wherever we happen to be, whatever we're doing. But we also need the minute by minute input of Jesus into our life. And that comes through prayer. I don't know how to live my life like I should, 
I don't have the wisdom of God. I need, I need Jesus to give me his wisdom about particular situations, about how to respond when I'm thrown off guard by something someone says. And I, I pause for a minute in my mind and I pray and I say, God, help me to know how to respond to this. Or I'm facing some other issue in my life. Prayer becomes another source of Jesus' life into my life. And so um, the two ways that we remain in Christ is through his word, a regular systematic input of his word, and then a minute-by-minute input through prayer. And you notice in this verse, it says, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Some, Some of us have been thrown by that a little bit. It sounds like we can say, well, I want a, I want a million dollar car, God, please drop it on me. Um, the thing is, if his word is in you, you're going to be asking for things that are important to him, things that advance his kingdom. You won't be asking frivolous things that are very selfish. You'll be asking for things that are consistent with his nature and his will. Let's go on to verse 8. We've already read this, but I think it's worth repeating. To this is my Father, this is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. The way we bring glory to God is by bearing fruit. Love, joy, peace, gentleness, kindness, self-control, those things that um, bless other people, forgiveness for other people, showing grace, uh, standing for what is true, those, those inner things, those are the things that come from Jesus. And we need to stay in him. We need to remain in him in order for those things to flow into our lives. Well, there's a second part of this passage that I'd like for you to look at now, and it begins in verse 9. And um, this gives a little different twist on remaining in Christ, and it also gives a little more clarity. So I'd like for us to read it, and then we'll talk about it. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. And that's a little different way of saying it, isn't it? Before, Jesus said, remain in me. And he made it clear that we remain in him through um, a regular intake of his word and, and through prayer. And here, it's just a little different. He says, remain in my love. Okay, verse 10. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. Whoa, there it is. There's the how to. How do we remain in his love? By keeping his commands. The things that he's asked us to do, we do them. That's how we stay in his love. Just as I have kept my father's commands and remain in his love. He's telling us something that he's already experienced and worked through. Verse 11. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Remaining in his love is the most joyous way to live. And that's, that's what we get to experience as we keep his commands and stay in his love. My command is this, 
love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay one's down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. Let's stop for just a minute. So he said that his command, we know that the way we remain in his love is to keep his commands. And then he says, my command is this, love one another. It's not that there aren't other things that are important in walking with the Lord, but can you think of anything more important than loving one another? Some, I, I, I hear what you're saying. Somebody's saying, oh, loving God is more important than loving one another. And yet, in every place, virtually, that love for God is taught, love for one another is also taught. In fact, John says it in his epistle. He says, how can you say I love God and not love your brother? How can you love, how can you claim to love someone you can't see and yet not love someone whom you can see? God's love, our love for one another and our love for God are so intertwined. And to say that you love God and don't love one another is a lie. You can't say that. And vice versa. Um, can you say you, you love each other and don't love God who is a source of love? Um, they go together. And Jesus says uh, that the greatest way to express love is to lay down your life for your friends. And he was about to do that. He would do that within a day of saying it. He says, I no longer call you servants because a servant doesn't know what his master's business is. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. Verse 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit. <laughs> Jesus said he chose us so that we would bear fruit. Fruit that would last. And how do we bear fruit? By remaining in him. By having his word in our heart. By being in a constant uh, state of prayer in our relationship with him. And so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. Now verse 17. This is my command. Love each other. And he reminds us again of what it means to remain in his love. It's keeping his commands and loving each other. Well, Jesus had said this earlier. In fact, in the very same night, he had said it in, a, in some different words. And I'd like for us to look at a couple of scriptures that remind us of that. First of all, John 14, 15. Jesus, in talking to his disciples, said, if you love me, Keep my commands. So keeping his commands is equivalent to loving him. Okay? Verse 21. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. Just a little different way of saying what he said before. The one who loves me will be loved by, by my father. And I too will love them and show myself to them. And so this love remaining in the love of the Father, remaining in the love of Jesus, 
uh, comes from keeping his commands. Um, you know, we've, we've talked about that, that before in this class, that how do you show love for someone, particularly someone who's in authority over you? Isn't it by obeying them? Don't I show love for God by obeying him? Can I show love for God by perhaps worshiping him with energy and with, with enthusiasm and crying and raising my hands and then going out and disobeying him? No, I can't do that. That would not be love. And so this obedience to him is that key way that we show love. Well, let's, let's wrap this up today. This has been a, a great reminder to me. I just have gotten so much from this in preparing for it. And I hope that you'll take with you uh, those key things today. The, the thing to remember is that God has created us to bear fruit. It's by bearing fruit that we honor him. And I'm, I'm not talking about winning souls for Jesus. That's, that's a different subject. And um, I'm talking about bearing fruit, bearing, um, showing in our lives the nature of Jesus, the character of Jesus, um, love, patience, forgiveness, mercy, grace, kindness, gentleness, listening, on and on. Things that are characteristic of Jesus, bearing those kinds of fruit in our lives. We do that by staying in his word and by staying current with him in prayer on a regular basis. I hope you've had um, some stimulating thoughts today as we've studied together and uh, I thank you for being part of the class. God bless you.